What's up, guys? It's Ant Mancini, and I'm here with episode number five of the It's Totally Possible podcast. And today, I got something special for you guys. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. I brought on my buddy Jordan Giacomo. He is someone that I trust immensely with all things finance. Um, he's helped me a lot. So uh, we're going to get into some interesting conversation revolving investing money management, and uh, actually he talks about how he bought his first investment property at 22 years of age, which is pretty insane, you know, not a lot of people are doing that, and he did it on his own too, you know, he didn't get a small loan of a million dollars, but without further ado, let's jump right into this episode, guys, hope you enjoy. Oh, do not, there is no try. What you do right now makes a difference. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. You want something, go get it. <laughs> Is your mic volume set so you don't complain about me blowing out your eardrums? <laughs> uh... Take that as a yes. All right, guys, thanks for tuning into this episode. Uh, this is a special one. I got my buddy here, Jordan DiGiacomo, a... Well-known, no, I can't, even, I can't even say what I was going to say. Not, listen, I'm well-known. <laughs> I'm famous around the town. Oh, man. Um, I better guy, be well-known soon. He's, he's, getting, he's getting there. But no, you have a, a good background in finance, so we're going to talk about a couple of specific things. He's 22. He's got his own investment property that he purchased himself. He's been investing since the stock market, stock market since he was six. Instead of learning how to throw a football, he was slinging hundred dollar bills with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, he works for a company. Can't say the name due to legal obligations, but uh, managing lots of money. Mm-hmm. So Jordan, thank you for jumping on here today, sir. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so fill me in. What's been going on in your life? Nothing much. I um, I just bought a uh, a duplex, so I Obviously, am. Obviously, know all this, but you know, well, whoever's listening doesn't know this. I um, I'm getting it ready to rent currently. Um, and basically, what I'm doing is, I didn't, I didn't know it was a thing at the time, but um, what I found out was that I'm doing a thing called house hacking. So <clears throat> with buying a duplex, I have Definitely feel I like live in up. No, it's it's not. It's actually <laughs> a it's a it's a term that a lot of um like real estate financial professionals use. So it's I bought a duplex and I live in one unit and I rent the other unit and the other unit basically pays my mortgage. <clears throat> I'm almost at a zero cost basis with it. I have I pay like fifty five dollars a month. Uh, roughly is is my goal for um for living in a in a home that's like just just shy of three hundred thousand dollars um so yeah and then i work at a um basically like a private equity and hedge fund management company um and so i manage a bunch of those funds and then i also do my own personal investing and so yeah Maybe I can be of a little bit of use. So let's let's hold up. Let's back up for a second, anyways, um, and talk about the investment property. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about this like extensively, and you've beaten my ear a lot about it. But talking to specific audience, like, should people under twenty five years of age 
be considered buying an investment property now? I mean, if so, what would you say to their common fears that might come up to people that are under 25 when it comes to, you know, quote unquote investment properties? So this is a little bit of, of um, my personal uh, kind of animus towards people that come on to like podcasts and put out uh, YouTube videos about how, oh, it's like a joke and anybody should do it and everybody can do it and everything. I think, um, you know, most people under the age of 25 aren't in the position to buy a house, fix it up, rent it out and, and house hack in the way that I'm doing now. Um, but with that being said, I think, I think mostly I'm, I'm a little bit of an outlier in that way. Um, being 22 and doing it. Um, but I think that shouldn't stop normal people from investing and, and trying to make this a goal. If you're in the financial position to do it, I a hundred percent absolutely think you should do it. I think it's way better than renting a property. I, I, I try and tell everyone in the world basically that I know that renting is a complete waste of money and you shouldn't be doing it. Um, but if you're not in the financial position to do it, then you know investing in stocks um, can be a can be an equal way to to kind of see that profit margin, um, but just without having to shell out twenty percent down payments and such. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'm in the same spot. I mean, you know this better than anyone probably. But so, can we hash that out a little bit further? Like, what do you mean a financial position to buy an investment property? Because I'm sure some people are thinking like twenty, thirty grand, forty grand's needed. But like, what what is an actual realistic number that somebody could start with if they're well, looking for a run-of-the-mill investment property, maybe like a duplex or something comparable, like a, a single-family home. Um, so it's actually really interesting. So there, it's it's a wide variety of of amounts that you can kind of work off of. So right now, a lot of people are are caught up in FHA loans. So FHA loans, you can put down three percent of the property value, but then you also have to pay PMI. Um, which is basically like mortgage insurance. So like the people, banks don't think that you are worth giving money to basically if you're only putting 3% down because they they think that you might skip out on the loan. So basically mm -hmm. you're paying this PMI on the side so that if you don't pay, the banks are covered. The banks collect that mortgage insurance and pay off the, the mortgage for you. So people can go in at like 3% down. I personally don't like to do that. I personally like to put 20% down or 25% depending on if it's if it's a if I'm living in the property or I'm not living in the property. Um but I like to do that so that I can avoid the the PMI. So so this property actually quick costs, sidebar. Yeah. Is there is there is there a is there more benefit for people to live in the same if it's a duplex would it make more sense for them to live in it versus just owning it outright and renting out both units is like a tax so advantages it's actually it's kind of interesting so there's more so initially from a, a mortgage from like getting a mortgage perspective it's easier for you to get it and put less money down if you're living in the property if it's owner occupied um, but from a tax perspective, it's actually better if you're not living in the, the units at all. Um, but basically anything you do to the units that you're renting out, um, anything you do to that is is basically a tax write-off. So um, this one, I'm writing off a ton of stuff for the upstairs um, because I live on the first floor and and the second floor, obviously, I'm going to I'm going to rent out. So 
a lot of the stuff that I'm doing up there is all tax deductible. So all of the, the painting and, and carpentry work that I've had done up there and, and basically, and the appliances and everything that I'm, I'm purchasing for up there is all tax deductible. Um, but the fact that the property is owner occupied allowed me to put 20% down instead of 25%, uh, 25 to like 25 to 27% normally is what you pay on an investment property by itself. Um, and then you can pay as low as 20%. You can even pay some banks as low as 15% if you live in the property um, and have a conventional loan like I do. So um, I could, I guess, take you through like sort of what it took for me to get the pro- this property. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that it was a good overview. Like, let's look at it from like a, a 10,000 foot view because I mean, you explain this to me a lot but like let's just say i'm joe smo and i have you know a few thousand saved and i don't know anything about the process i don't know where to start what's like what's your recommendation for someone in this position that wants to have an investment property but doesn't know where to start what's the next step and or the financial next step so there's a bunch of different things that you can do but i would suggest doing exactly what i did which was kind of build up a stock portfolio um, first, try and try and build yourself a diversified, maybe dividend reinvestment portfolio in stocks and kind of use that gain to swap into real estate when you're ready to do that. So my strategy um, overall has basically been I receive cash from working a nine to five job. I convert that cash into investments. So like stock market investments, um, then I convert those stock market investments into real estate investments. And then that real estate investments, I convert back out as passive income. So ideally, um, I'd like to see roughly a 12% return from my real estate investments annually. Um, that's low, but I always lo- like, like to lowball myself. So I like to see a 12% return from my real estate investments. Um, and then my stock investments, uh, I would like to see, you know, probably about the same, maybe 15%, um, return from those. But that also, a lot of people think that you can't really do that with stocks because the S and P 500 is, is like a 10% annual, uh, increase, um, 8% if you account for inflation. So you're asking me like, Hey, like, you're doubling your, you're doubling your, um, interest, basically your, um, your gain. Yeah. Um, but it's really not that difficult to do that. And especially if you, if you are exploiting like very specific stocks to do that, but, um, ideally I'm just trying to basically convert my nine to five pittance of a wage into uh, a steady stream of, of passive income. So right now with my, my current living conditions, I could work anywhere I want and do anything I want and still have this home and own it and, and occupy it regularly. Um, so that's the first step basically of my financial freedom. So I'm working towards, I actually would like to buy another one this year. Um, but I think I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I think I'm going to buy a single family home, um, buy it a little bit uh, on the cheap. Um, and then even though I said, I didn't like FHA loans, I'm, I'm thinking about doing an FHA on that one paying PMI, 
for a while and then swapping it out to a conventional loan later on. But this is like a lot of this stuff is like super next level, you know? So like for a, for a basic individual, um, if you have money in a savings account or anything right now, get it out of the savings account and get it into the stock market. As much as people say like, oh, there's going to be a collapse, there's going to be a recession. And yes, I personally believe that there is going to be a recession. Um, there's not going to be a recession soon enough um, to to make it not worth it to invest in the stock market. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, that's going to lead me into my next question, which we're going to talk about like part one of that, how to actually start investing in the stock market. Because you and I both know that a shit ton of people our age and, and younger and actually even older probably uh they're they're not investing so we'll, we'll jump to that in a second but to go back like you explained a lot of the important things but something you beat into my skull repeatedly is how important <laughs> your credit score is so can you touch on how that would play into someone's um, ability to get an investment property or, or how important that would play into the process for them whether or not um, they have ten thousand dollars or they have you know, $30,000 to put towards it. So it's interesting. So I, when I started looking for an investment property, I understood the basics of credit and I understood that, you know, I wanted a better credit score, but I didn't really understand why I wanted a better credit score. Um, essentially the credit score is just the bank's view of, you know, how, trustworthy you are in essence so the better credit score you have the more likely a bank is willing to loan you an exuberant amount of money and added at an exuberant amount of risk as well right so um you know a popular example is like someone like grant cardone so grant cardone has a lot of capital on the sides right so he's got a lot of investment properties he's got a lot of stuff like that but mm -hmm. he probably also has an amazing credit score and so banks are willing to, to loan him an exuberant amount of money because he has a lot of collateral on the side and he's got an amazing credit score. And his credit with a particular bank is probably amazing too because he's paying back a lot of loans with them and such. So um, that bank is more likely to trust him with a lot of money. So um, for somebody starting off, um, if I could go back in time and, and change a few things, the first thing that I would do is I would start applying for credit cards and try and apply for credit cards regularly every about six months until you have a fair amount of, of credit accounts open. The more credit accounts you have open, the more, um, the more, uh, the more money you have access to that you're not actually spending, the better. So yeah. ideally you want, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of open lines of credit and be spending zero dollars of it. So if I could go back in time, I would 100% be opening up credit cards from the moment that I could when I was like 18 years old onward. Um, I didn't open up a lot of credit cards right away because I had that that kind of Dave Ramsey-esque view of all credit cards are horrible and I should never yeah. touch them. But if you really learn how to exploit and leverage credit cards and debt to your advantage, it's it's probably the best way to make it rich. And we're definitely going to get into that because uh, you know my history with credit cards, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we'll, we'll touch on that momentarily. But all right, well, going back to what you said about taking the money that you have from your nine to five and investing that into the stock market, uh -huh. a lot of 
people that are probably listening don't have anything invested in the stock market or they've had a lot of like um, misconceptions about it. So what would you tell someone when they are about to start investing in the stock market? What level of income do they need or do they need a specific amount to get started? Um, so my personal philosophy is you need you need there's no specific income involved there's very minimal um in terms of just just an average amount of income there's no barrier to entry in terms of what amount of money you need to invest i hear a lot of people say oh you need tens of thousands of dollars to start investing in the stock market otherwise it's not even worth it the basic premise is uh, the average savings account that most people bank money away into uh, pays an average of 0.1% to 0.5% interest. So we're talking about you know a, a minimal, minimal, minimal amount of money. Um, there are some as high as 2%. Um, right now, it's a little lower. Right now, I think the average as of recording this is like – it's like 1.7% or something like that. It's like the higher end. Yeah. Um, whereas the S&P 500 tracked year over year, as I said before – is an 8% return after you account for inflation. So inflation is basically money devaluing or the government devaluing currency 2% annually um, just because we print a lot more and such. So um, so in essence, if you're putting your money in a savings account, even if you're maxing it out at the highest interest rate in savings accounts, you are still only accounting for inflation. Basically, so you're just making sure your money doesn't devalue. Um, it just kind of remains the same. Whereas in the stock market, if you account for inflation, you're still seeing an eight percent year-over-year return, right? So this is the difference of millions of dollars down down the road. You know, if you're in, if you're willing to put, you know, anywhere from ten dollars to fifty dollars, you know, a month into into a an investment account versus a savings account you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars difference yeah so, and that makes and that makes sense to me from like all of our previous conversations but like if, let me rephrase it this way so what if you know most people making an average salary after paying their bills and expenses uh if they have kids maybe taking care of that they have very little left over and you and I heard we hear the same shit, you know, a lot. Like, well, I only have you know fifty dollars. I only have a hundred dollars, uh, mm -hmm. maybe left a month. That's really not enough to like even purchase like one or two you know shares of a stock. It doesn't seem worth it to me. You know, what would you say to that individual? I say it's that's a bunch of basically BS. It's a bunch of garbage because you know <laughs> what we did with your strategy anyway was we had you build up a certain amount of money in the account and then purchase in bulk with with that amount now there's actually even less of a bar to entry because now all of the um the the stock trading the brokerage firms um all of them have zero fees so the only reason i would have you buy in bulk like that is because there was fees yeah. involved so it would yep. take you know one percent of your earnings immediately but now there's zero bar to entry so you look at a, a stock like Abbott, right? ABT. Um, it's it. What is it trading at? Like sixty dollars right now, or something like that. Yeah, I think and, it's in the higher end. That's it's eighty, eighty-five. So you're talking about if you have fifty dollars to invest, say fifty dollars um, after everything um, biweekly, right? 
that's a hundred dollars a month. You can be buying one share of of Abbott, one in a little bit, one in some change, and have your dividends reinvest and and be making some serious money over over a certain amount of time. So, you know, I, I think it's a cop out when people say, Oh, I don't have enough money to invest. It's it's garbage because people think about hedge fund managers and they think about people, you know, like I handle money for and that are, you know, making millions and millions of dollars and pushing crazy amounts of money here and there but it's they got there by putting this amount of of money into their their accounts their stock trading and i love this example but andrew carnegie when he first started investing he's the richest human being alive basically that's a business related obviously you have some that are like dictators and stuff that are rich but (laughs) Um, from a business perspective, Andrew Carnegie is the richest human being basically to ever live. Um, and the way that he started was he was was investing in companies and he was making pennies. He was, I think he was making 14 cents a day or some, something absolutely ludicrously low like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he was taking all of that money, buying himself just enough food to eat and investing all of the rest of it. And this man is the richest human, the richest American of all time, period. Yeah, and I just, he started uh, out with pennies on the dollar. So <laughs> I just Googled it for my own uh, curiosity because I know we were talking about this before. So as of 2013, he would, if he was alive today, he would be uh, worth an estimated $310 billion. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about the richest by far, right? Um, so, you know. And this is a man that started off investing, you know, five cents a, a week, you know. So, um, you know, if you if you're looking for an example of someone that you know invested a, a small amount of money, he's the guy. So, I think that's a, a good analogy. Um, but so let's I, use myself as an example. Honestly, like I was that same person. Like I didn't have much left over when I started investing, I, like, like literally $25 probably per paycheck, but all, on the same token, I was also in a lot of credit card debt. Um, and so it was a double edged sword. So what would you, what advice would you give to an individual who was in that same situation that has a substantial amount of debt, you know, feeling overwhelmed and they're not, they don't have a lot of extra money left over. What path should they take first? Should they be investing a little bit and paying off their debt? Should they just be focusing on paying off their debt and then investing? You know, what what's the best case scenario or best strategy for somebody that might be in that position? Um, so one thing that I kind of recommended to, to you um, when paying off debt was basically any bulk sums of money um, we, we would try and invest. Um, but when you say bulk, I, what do you, can you give some examples? I mean, like if you if you have like um, birthday checks or Christmas checks or big bonuses at work or something like that, you basically try and put all of that money into investments. Um, but in all honesty, um, the the debt that a lot of people are in this credit card debt is where I would focus a lot of of the money. So if if you're in mountains of credit card debt or mountains of, of school debt or something like that, school debt is one thing. School debt can be handled and you can invest simultaneously. But if you're in a ton of credit card debt that's getting charged interest at 25%, like most credit cards are, um, you got to start paying that down. 
That's the first thing. So, you know, if you're listening and you have a ton of credit card debt, basically drop everything and pay the credit card debt down. That's that's just period. It's something that you just have to do. And then once you work through that, it's never too late to start doing anything else. Um, but that's the first thing that, that has to be handled. Then you can explore investment and such. But I think for you, uh, I tried to split it up a little bit. I tried to get a bunch of money into investments to kind of show you how powerful it could be. Um, and then once you knew how powerful it could be, um, then we started, you know, focusing down on debt. But yeah, it definitely took a little bit of practice and uh, some visible proof before I uh, started <laughs> to buy in more. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people because it's hard to read it and hear from somebody else, but to to hear from so I can tell you right now, uh, you know, firsthand it uh, it works over time. It starts to build and snowball, so that's really good. But all right, we're creeping up on thirty minutes here. Let's uh, I'm gonna focus on this last question. What uh, one piece of advice would you give to a 20, 28 year old? I mean, it can really be anybody, but typically or particularly within that like millennial age range, um, what, what advice would you give to them who is looking to start developing a strong financial foundation in general? One piece of I advice. Think- the, the strongest bit of information that I can say is basically uh, you have to hit it uh, from a multi-pronged perspective. So first of all, you have to be working. Whether you're in college or you're out of college, you have to be working at some kind of job. And I know it sucks and I know it's terrible and I know there's a lot of jobs that people don't feel like doing. But if you want to be financially free, you want to be financially independent, you want to be rich <laughs> as, as fuck one day – you got to just you got to start working a job. You know, that's the first thing. Get a stream of income coming in. Um then I would say second of all, find the highest rate savings account you can. So I know Ally Bank has has a high one. Um yep. Wealthfront has another high one. There's a bunch that have have pretty decently high um savings accounts, but get a high rate of return savings account. Um, then I would say try and invest in the stock market as best you can, you know, just try and start getting some money in, start looking around, don't invest in penny stocks, invest in established, well-known companies and, and just try and try and dip your feet in and get as much money as you possibly can into those, those companies. Um, I think if you start there, if you just continue investing in the stock market, putting any excess money in, in a high-yield savings account and getting some money in, you're already doing better than 90% of the fucking people out there. Just straight up. That's yeah. the period. I think that's um, some really good advice, and I uh, wish I definitely had started. You know, hindsight, but wish I would have started <laughs> when I was uh, much, much younger. Like yeah. 18 would have been ideal, but... Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. But all right, man, that's that's all I got for you. Uh, I appreciate your time tonight, sir. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. You can always find all future episodes at itstotallypossible.com, and there is no apostrophe between the it and the s. Catch you in the next episode.